Welcome to the Tuesday Theology edition of the Scottsdale Podcast. At Scottsdale, one of our core values is studying God's Word. So through this theology class, our goal is to equip our people with the right knowledge of God. Enjoy, and we hope that you grow in your knowledge of God and application of His Word. Let's begin with a word of prayer and we'll get things going, okay? Fathers, we come before you tonight. We thank you for your goodness, your grace. We thank you for the life that we have in Jesus Christ. And as we have uh, been studying over the last several weeks about uh, this aspect of regeneration and salvation, uh, Father, what that means, we are indeed grateful. Uh, we know that it is outside of ourselves, that it is a work of you in our own hearts and lives as you call us and you, you bring us into new life. We thank you for transferring us from uh, darkness into the light and giving us a hope uh, for eternity that is found in your Son. So tonight we uh, pray that you will guide us in our time together as we uh, walk through the chapter, as we, uh, as we uh, reflect on some of the questions and some of the things that come about and how this session uh, can help us in our day-to-day lives. So would you guide us uh, in our time together tonight? We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. All right, over the last several weeks, uh, you've been looking at the doctrine of and the application of redemption. Uh, we want to continue that tonight as we look uh, at the truth and the doctrine of sanctification. Uh, basically, sanctification is a believer's growth into the likeness of Jesus Christ as we become more and more like our Savior. Uh, as we learned uh, through our reading this week, we learned that um, re- this redemption and this work of sanctification is a progressive work that continues throughout our earthly lives and it involves both uh, a work of God in our hearts and lives and it also involves our work as well as we partner with Him in, in seeing this likeness come about. Uh, sanctification is defined as a progressive work of God, that uh, God in man, that makes us more and more free from sin and like Christ in our actual lives. Uh, Millard Erickson says that sanctification is a process by which one's moral condition is brought into conformity with one's legal status before God. Now, you learned about that legal status, I think, last week, and if I'm not mistaken, I think Pastor Phil led that, looking at justification, uh, where we are declared righteous uh, before God because of the work of Jesus Christ on our behalf. And so, because of His shed blood, we are declared righteous. And as God looks at us, He looks at us in light of what the, the blood of Christ has done in covering us and saving us from our sin. And so, He looks at us as righteous. So, Tonight we want to dig into the chapter, just discover how we grow as a Christian into Christian maturity to look at the blessings that flow as a, re- as a result of our growth uh, in Christ. Uh, so as we do, we're just going to kind of walk. I gave you an outline of the chapter. Uh, we'll kind of walk through that uh, and talk through this a little bit together. But the first thing that Grudem does is he shows us and brings to light the differences between justification and sanctification. And you'll see that on the table on page 326. But you learned last week that justification is our legal standing before God. It is uh, one time for all time. Uh, it takes place because of the work of Jesus Christ. It's entirely uh, God's work in our lives. Lives, uh, and it declares us and, and, and makes us perfect in this life the same as that is the truth for all Christians. Where sanctification 
is an inward condition where God is doing a work within us through the power of His Holy Spirit and on our behalf as well as we take part in our own Christian growth is continuous through our lifetime uh, as we cooperate with God. Uh, we do not become perfect in this life, okay? Uh, and it's greater in some than in others, okay? You can see the work of sanctification taking place in the lives of some people better than others. And sometimes it's just the aspect of, of the lack of discipline in someone's life and not applying themselves to the teaching of God's Word and learning how to grow in their life. Uh, Paul even addresses that. If you remember in talking to the Corinthians, he's saying that, hey, some of you should be on the meat of God's Word, but you're still on the what? You're still on the milk. And so it's very evident that some people should have progressed in their Christian walk and maturity, but they just haven't arrived there yet, okay? Uh, and it takes uh, uh, the work of God as we yield to the work of the power of the Holy Spirit in our lives, and it takes our part as well as we dig in and we discipline ourselves in the things of God. Uh, Grudem brings out three stages of sanctification. And as you looked at that section of the chapter, uh, there were four points, right? So, so uh, that messed with me too. I didn't like it because I'm, I'm just structured that way. So uh, if you say there are three stages, give me three stages and then bring up a sub point. All right. But anyway, uh, there are three stages uh, to this act of sanctification. And the first is this. The first uh, part of this sanctification is that sanctification has a definite beginning, a definite beginning. And it begins at when? Regeneration, all right, at our new birth, when we come to faith in Jesus Christ. Now, you know, he gives us several passages to look at as we looked at this aspect of, of this work taking place within us. But it's this moral change where our moral compass is kind of regenerated, reborn, our direction of life kind of changed where we may have been headlong into the things of our own life and sin. But now God changes our, our thought process and our, and our thinking and our want to, our desires so that we desire different things. So there's this change of our moral compass in our life. And we see that our regeneration, our salvation is not because of anything that we have done. It's solely the work of God on our behalf. He says in Titus 3, 5, that he saved us not because of the righteous things we had done, but because of his mercy. He saved us through the washing of rebirth and renewal by the Holy Spirit. Okay, uh, it talks about in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, uh, but you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of God. Now it says we were justified, meaning that we were declared what? Righteous, okay, before God and that we are also sanctified, right? OK, and so as we look at the word sanctified and as you read the, the tense that it is in is something that is completed in the work of God, but it's something that is continuous as well. Right. So we are sanctified in God. We are set apart as as second Peter tells and second Peter. Peter tells us that we are a chosen people, a holy nation. Right. A people who are set apart for God. Uh, and for his purposes. So he tells us that we have been sanctified. We have been set apart. We have been deemed holy in God's sight. Okay. But it's a continual process that happens. But we are sanctified at our salvation. Um, Romans 6, 11 says in the same way, count yourselves dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. So we, as we come to faith in Christ, we, we are to count ourselves dead to sin. 
uh, and to live to, to holy and pleasing to our God. Okay, uh, now. When we come to faith in Christ and we're sanctified, part of that sanctifying work is that it changes. There's a fundamental change in what has authority in, in our life. All right. Before we come to Christ, what had dominance in our life? All right. The, the power of sin was in our life. All right. When we come to faith in Christ, we have victory in Jesus. Right. We are set free from the bondage of our sin. All right. And we are given the power and we are enabled by the power of the Holy Spirit to walk in the things God wants us to do. So there's a fundamental change where once sin dominated our life. Now we have a new power and authority in our life. And it's who? It's Jesus. It's God. All right. That's right. So it's God. Uh, Romans 6, 14, one of the scripture passages, he says, for sin shall no longer be your master. Because you are not under the law, but you are under grace, all right? You have been set free from sin and become slaves to righteousness, all right? Then Romans 6, it goes on to say, Therefore, because we have a new power and new authority in our life, all right? Do not let sin reign in your mortal body so that you obey its evil desires. Do not offer any part of yourself to sin as an instrument of wickedness but rather offer yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life and offer every part of yourself to Him as an instrument of righteousness. Okay? So it's this work where no longer does sin have dominance and dominion in our life because we have a new king, right? We have a new authority. We have a new power source in our life. All right? So we come under that authority, and that's part of the work of sanctification. It, it, it involves, Grudem says, a reorientation of our desires so that we no longer have this dominant love for the things of the flesh. But we desire the things of God. We desire to grow in the things of God. We desire to, to become more like God. We, we desire to see His characteristics come into our life and flow out of us so that we respond to the world in a different way. Uh, Romans 6, 17 and 18 goes on. But thanks be to God that though you used to be slave to sin, you have come to obey from your heart the pattern of teaching that now, has now claimed your allegiance. You have been set free from sin and become slaves to righteousness. So it's, a, it's an act that takes place at regeneration. It has a beginning point in our lives, and that is when it begins, when we come to faith in Christ. Now, the second thing that Grudem says happens in the stage of sanctification is that sanctification does what? It increases throughout our lives, right? So it should be growing. We, we, we come to faith in Christ and we are babes in Christ, but our Christian life should be one of Christian growth and maturity, right? Uh, we should always be striving to become more and more like our Savior, Jesus Christ. So this process of sanctification is one that continues uh, day by day. It's a process that looks different for each child of God. Uh, uh, now there's a realization that there's still sin present in our life, all right? Uh, and the reason it's different for some of us is some of us have some more deeply rooted sins in our life that we may struggle with and, and have to overcome in our life. Okay, But the Holy Spirit is working within us to form us and fashion us into the image of our Savior as we yield to Him. All right. Now, our sanctification, as you looked and, and He gave you a graph in the book, is not a straight line 
growth process, is it? How many of you were saved and it's just been an uphill? You've been on the climb ever since, but you've never had a downtime, right? How many of you have slipped back and fallen, right? Right, yeah. Uh, because sin is still present in our lives. And so it's a reality with us. And knowing that this sin is still present in our, in our lives, uh, we, we find that we kind of butt up against Scripture that says, what did we just read? You've been set free from what? Whew, doesn't seem like it sometimes, does it? All right. There's still a battle that rages within us. So we see this passage that we've been set free from sin, but we know that there's a battle that still rages within us. That's why Paul goes on to say, do not let sin do what? Reign in your mortal body. That's why he says to mortify the flesh, to, to, to kill it, to murder it, to, to, to put it away, right? Whose responsibility is that? It's ours, right? It's our responsibility to mortify the flesh, to, to not let sin reign in our, in our bodies, right? Now, we have the power indwelling us that comes from the power of what? The Holy Spirit, all right? And only as we lean into the power of God in our lives are we able to actually do those things of not letting sin reign in our mortal body and, not, and mortifying the flesh and putting those things aside only as we lean into God. Only as we lean into Him. And see, so often when that sin comes up and we struggle in our lives, it's sometimes because we've, we've become a little bit disconnected, right? We may be tired. We may be frustrated. We may be discontented. We, we may uh, have lack of prayer in our life. We may have, have, have given up on our Bible study at some point and fallen behind. And so all these things of the world continue to bombard us, but we've not plugged into the power source that we need to find victory in our life over this sin. So, you know, Paul goes on to tell us um, and tell the church in, the, in Corinth that we are being transformed. We're being transformed into the likeness. That's a, that's a work in progress. We're being transformed into the image of Jesus Christ with increasing glory. All right? And that being transformed means it's something that is continually taking place on a daily basis. Some days we see it more evident in our life than others, right? Uh, some days it's hard to see it all uh, because we know our weaknesses and we know our flesh and we know how we struggle in those areas. But it's an increasing thing where we become more and more like Jesus Christ. Grudem tells us that all the moral expectations and commandments in the New Testament epistles apply here because they all, all exhort believers to one aspect or another of greater sanctification in their lives. He goes on to say that it is the expectation of all the New Testament authors that our sanctification will increase throughout our Christian lives. All right? It will increase. Now there may be, and like I said, there are moments of down. And there may be seasons of plateau, right? I mean, it may not be just a jagged down and back up. It may be a season of plateau. But understand this, that God is faithful, right, to complete the work that He has started in you, all right? He is faithful to complete His work. And so He is going to do those things necessary to, to bring you into the image of His Son, all right? He goes on to say the third stage is this, that sanctific sanctification is completed at death for our souls, and when Jesus returns for our bodies, all right? 
we find that because of the continued presence of sin in our lives, we are never to, be, to become completely perfect in this life that we live. All right? We will never find that sanctification is completed as we stand on this side of death. All right? But when we die, when we die, we find that our souls are sanctified wholly as we enter into the presence of our God and our Savior. All right? And we find the hope and the promise that is there that when Jesus returns and He resurrects us from the dead, that we will be completely sanctified in our physical bodies so that we will forever be able to be in the presence of our King, right? Because sin has no place in the presence of our God. So in the meantime, because this work of sanctification is a process, that's why Paul is continually reminding us not to let sin reign in our mortal bodies, to obey its evil desires, to offer ourselves to God. All right? Um, he goes on and he, he brings up point number four that is not a stage of sanctification. Okay? Because we find all of these scripture passages that says we're free from sin uh, and all of these things. So sanctification, he says, is never completed in this life. We just stated that. All right? But there is teaching out there uh, of a sinless perfection. Has anybody ever met anyone who believed in sinless perfection? Okay. All right. I actually have, I've actually heard someone speaking who spoke at a, at a men's event and talked about sinless perfection. Our pastor had to get up behind him and, and correct him in, in his teaching because it's not there, okay? Uh, but this sinless perfection, and they, they take this to say that why would God give us a command to be perfect as God is perfect, right? Or to be holy as God is holy and not give us the capacity to live it out. If He commands it, surely He will enable us, right? Okay? So Grudem kind of addresses these things. One of, some of the things that he says is that if we think about this sinless perfection kind of thing, that... Um, he looks at this and says, all people, even those that are, who are dead in their trespasses and sin, are commanded to obedience. That's God's standard for all people, right? So that is His moral standard. All of us fall short of the glory of God and fall short of that standard in our life, correct? So it's there for all people, and we are all held accountable for our sin. The fact that we can't attain God's standard of perfection doesn't mean that He should Lower the standard is what he says, but it does point to our need of his amazing grace and his wonderful forgiveness that comes through Jesus Christ. He looks at several passages as we look at this, and, and some of the things that he looks at is that um, um, he looks at 1 John 3, 6. It says, no one who abides in him, what? Sins, right? If you, if you follow down to verse 9, it says that, that he is in Christ who abides in him. They're not going to continually sin. They're not going to habitually sin, right? And so the better understanding is that sin will not reign in us and have dominance over us because of the work of God in our lives, okay? Uh, and so he's not going to do that. That better understanding of, of verse 6 would be that he continues in sin, all right? Just exactly like it is in verse three, in chapter three, verse nine. Okay, uh, because the 
Holy Spirit abides and dwells in our lives, uh, we can find that uh, though sin is there, we don't have to let it reign in our mortal bodies. So perfectionism is something that will not be attained. Uh, it is not going to be attained in this world. Um, it should not be expected. Uh, and if those verses that were taken prove sinless perfection, they would prove it for all people, all Christians, uh, because they talk about what's true for everyone born of God who has seen Christ, who has known Christ. Now, here's the interesting thing. Who is, as you read the Bible, who would you say probably is the greatest saint that we see in the New Testament? Paul. All right, the Apostle Paul who's writing a lot of this, right? Now, the Apostle Paul, interesting, we've looked at a lot of Romans chapter 6, but in Romans chapter 7, Paul says something, all right? He says something about the indwelling sin that is even in his life, right? And he says, look, the things I long to do, the things I want to do, I find myself not doing. And the things I don't want to do, that's the very things I'm doing, now, if the Apostle Paul, the man that we hold up to be one who walked intimately with Christ, says that there is a struggle with sin, we know that there's a struggle with sin continuing in our life. How many of us struggled with a sin in this day? All right. You know, it's, it's, it's a battle every day. Uh, where is a battle between the flesh and the spirit in our lives. And, and as we find victory, victory comes as we yield to the work of the Holy Spirit in our life. And we say, God, you take control of my life. You guide me in this conversation. You lead me in this relationship. You help me in these things because, God, I don't have the power and the capacity within myself to do it in the right way. So, Father, I yield to your spirit in my life to allow you to do the work in me, okay? So it's a daily dying to ourself and a daily committing ourselves to walk in the power of the Holy Spirit. Galatians 5 tells us that if we walk in the spirit, we will not gratify what? The desires of the flesh. That's right. Okay, so we walk by the spirit in those ways. Uh, See, once we've concluded that sanctification will never be completed in this life, he goes on to say this. He gives us a caution. He says, once we've concluded, concluded that sin is ever present and that sanctification is not going to happen here, we've got to be careful in the way that we use the truth. Why did he say we needed to be careful with the way that we use the truth? You can find it. You can look there in your book if you want to. All right. Okay. All right. All right. We become lax. We might become lazy in our Christian disciplines, in our Christian walk. You know, if God's going to get it all corrected at the end, <laughs> why worry about today? Right. Uh, and so we have to be careful in the way that we use this. And, and, and we don't need to become defeated. All right. Because we have a failure at some point along the way, we rise up from that and we go back to 1 John that tells us that if we confess our sin, that He's faithful and just to forgive us our sin, right? So we go back to that, we ask for forgiveness, we stand up and we walk anew in the Spirit in the, in the days to come and in the hours and the moments to come. So defeat will come. We have to understand that we're never going to be wholly sanctified this side of heaven. All right. Now, 
He goes on in the chapter and talks about this work of sanctification, how it takes place. And he says that it is a cooperation between who? God and man. All right. It's a, it's a cooperation between God and man. And it does not imply that this cooperation is equal in, in what happens. All right. Um, one of the verses that he uses to affirm this cooperation is Philippians 2, 12 and 13. He says, therefore, my dear friends, as you have always obeyed, not only in my presence, but now much more in my absence, continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. For it is who? God who works in you to will and to act in order to fulfill his good purposes. All right. So God's role in sanctification is this. It is God who sanctifies us. Right. First Thessalonians 5.23 tells us that it is God himself who sanctifies us through and through. All right. He, he sanctifies us through and through. It says, may, uh, may God himself, the God of peace, sanctify you through and through. May your whole spirit, soul and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. All right. So it's his work. Uh, we find that it's primarily uh, the work of the spirit. All right. Uh, the Son is our work uh, and means of justification and the means of our atonement and our forgiveness through His shed blood. But it's the work of the Holy Spirit now because as we are born again, the Spirit comes and indwells us in our life. And now it is the power of the Holy Spirit that gives us the capacity to live in a manner that's pleasing to our God and our Father. So it's a work of the Spirit of God working within us to change us and to make us new each day. Uh, Grudem goes on and says that God uses another means to bring about the work of sanctification in our lives. And what is it? Do you remember? We find it in Hebrews, all right? We find it in Hebrews chapter 12. Yes, the work of discipline, okay? So God may use the work of discipline to, to bring about change in our life. How many of you as a parent, we got a lot of parents in here, have used the work of discipline in your child's life to, to bring about a change in them, right? Uh, how many of you were disciplined to bring about change uh, by your parents, right? So, so God himself, because we find in that Hebrews passage that God is our father, all right? He addresses us as a father, as a father addresses a son. And, and the Lord disciplines us as his children. And he uses that discipline to bring about correction in our life and the way that we're living. OK, uh, God will let us get to the end of ourselves a lot of times, though, won't he? OK, he'll let us run headlong for a long, long time. Uh, and, and then he will get our attention many times and bring us to a point of brokenness where is the contrite spirit in us where we come in repentance to, to God and we confess those things before God and He brings a, about this river and this fountain of freshness because we have repented in that way. So, so God does this work. Uh, he goes on to say that not only does God have this work and this role, but we have a role, Okay. Uh, we have a role in sanctification. Uh, the role that we play in the work is both passive one uh, in which we depend on God to sanctify us. Uh, and it's an active one in which we strive to obey God and take the necessary steps that will increase our growth and maturity in Christ. All right. 
Uh, so we're going to have a role as well. Now, this passive role can be found in text that encourages us to trust God and to pray for His sanctifying work to take place in our life. Romans 6, 13 says to offer, all right, to yield, to present your bodies, all right? So, so there's this thing of saying, God, I'm going to yield to you and allow you to do your work in my life, all right? I want you to have your will in your way, so I pray, God, that you would do these things, all right? Now, there's not that aspect of letting go and letting God, right? He, he warned about that danger, all right? We can't just lay it all in God's lap and expect it to happen. So there's not only this passive role of trusting in God to do His work and have His will in our life, but there's also an active role in which we play, all right? Uh, and the Scripture plainly teaches this active role. Romans 8, 13 uh, tells us as, as we look at that passage, Do not offer any part of yourself to sin as an instrument of wickedness, but rather... Offer yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life and offer every part of yourself to Him as an instrument of righteousness. Uh, it says that, you know, in, in um, Romans 8, 13, uh, I, that was 6, 13, I'm sorry. Romans 8, 13, if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit uh, you put to death the misdeeds of the body, you will live. Who is to put to death something? God or us? Okay, we are. All right. Who's to present ourselves to God as we looked at in the Romans 6 passage? We are. All right. So we present our bodies to God as instruments of righteousness. We put to death those things uh, that are sinful in our life. And so we do these things. That Philippians 2 passage. Uh, who is the one to work out their salvation with fear and trembling? We are, all right? So we are to do that work with, with fear and trembling, understanding that we stand in awe and, and reverence of a holy and a righteous God who is perfect in every way, all right? And He has lovingly <laughs> sent His Son that we might have life and that we might be restored to a proper relationship and fellowship with Him. And in that that leads us to this place where we have this desire and this change of heart to live and to please Him. Sanctification um, uh, comes on our part as we, uh, in Hebrews 12, 14, we make every effort to live in peace uh, with everyone and to be holy before God. We make the effort for holiness in our life, right? God doesn't just touch us. And don't we wish <laughs> that God would just say, holy, it just doesn't work. But we have to be the one to, to work this out, to make the effort, to desire, to pursue holiness in our life. Uh, part of sanctification is the aspect of avoiding immorality. And that came through 1 Thessalonians 4, 3. That's part of God's work. And as we look at that, uh, that passage of, of uh, 1 Thessalonians, it says, It is God's will that you should be sanctified that you should avoid sexual immorality. So we should avoid immorality in our life. We are to walk in purity. We're to walk in holiness. And as we do, the Spirit of God does an amazing work in us and continually is doing that work of transformation. All right? Many people have struggled with areas in their life, right? But the more they yield to the work of the Holy Spirit and the more, to, the more they put to death the deeds of the flesh and the more they pursue holiness in their life, they find that they 
it's now that temptation is not as strong as what it used to be. And remember, one of the things uh, that we didn't look at is that Corinthians 10 passage that says, God is not going to put any temptation before us. He's not going to give us a means to do what? To escape, right? So, you know, that passage is there. Now, as we continue to grow in our walk with Christ, that becomes easier, but it doesn't mean that we're not going to fall, all right? Uh, there are times that we're just going to fail. <laughs> and that's when we rest and we go back to the grace and the goodness of our God. But throughout the New Testament, Grudem says that we are encouraged to grow in our sanctification by giving ourselves to the good old-fashioned time-honored what? Disciplines of faith, right? He says the best way for you to grow in your salvation the best thing for you to do actively on a day-to-day -day basis is to, to be spiritually disciplined in the things that I have given you for that growth. I've given you the Holy Spirit to help you know and to understand what I have given you in the Word, right? So I've given you the Spirit, but it's up to you to have the discipline to grow, right? So what do we do? We, we go to the Bible and we have Bible reading and Bible meditation. We, we may call that our quiet time or whatever we may do, but it's our time where we get into God's Word and we allow the Word of God to speak to us. All right? We could, we could do a whole class on just spiritual growth. This is on sanctification, but this aspect of, of Bible study and getting in God's Word and learning how to apply God's Word and learning how to memorize and meditate on God's Word so that it changes us. Asking the proper questions about God's Word, okay? Uh, but we look at that. Um, those who delight in the law of the Lord, uh, uh, whose delight is in the law of the Lord, who meditates on His law day and night. He longs for us to be. Uh, it says, blessed is the man who does those things. So he wants us to be in his word. He wants to be a, us to be a student of his word. Uh, it goes on in the passage. One of the passages it says is the Matthew chapter 4 passage where Jesus uh, talks to Satan and he says, you know, man shall not live by what? Bread alone, but on what? Every word, Every word of God. All right. All right. So, so we see that. We, we are to live on the word of God. We're to take it in. John 17, 17 says, Jesus says, Father, sanctify them with your, what? Truth, with your truth, all right? This is the truth of God's word. And so God desires to take his word and for us to bring it into our lives so that we know it and understand it and then we begin to live it out, all right? The reason so many struggle in their growth of sanctification the reason so many still find themselves as a babe in Christ is they've not given themselves to the Word of God, all right? They may be ignorant to the things that God is desiring them to do because they haven't given themselves to the study of God's Word. So we, we get into the Bible. So there's Bible reading and meditation. There's the aspect uh, of prayer. Uh, Ephesians uh, 6, 18 says to pray in the Spirit in all occasions, all right? So we're to pray uh, we're to ask the Holy Spirit to guide us in our prayers, uh, to lead us into that time of prayer on all occasions. Philippians 4, 6, do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, what? With prayer and supplication, all right? Make your requests known to God, right? So we're to pray in this way. Uh, 1, Thess uh, 1 Thessalonians, am I right? 1 Thessalonians 5, 17, pray with what? Without ceasing. 
right? It's to be a continual aspect of our life. See, we try to compartmentalize so often this aspect of prayer, okay? I do my daily reading, and then I spend a moment in prayer. God, help me be more like the people I just read about today, and then we're out the door, all right? But this, this aspect of praying without ceasing doesn't mean that we stay on our prayer knees or at the prayer table or at our devotion spot all day long, but it says that I engage the world and I go into this life, what? I need, I need help. All right. So I'm continually praying. Uh, how many of you pray when you're in your car? All right. You know, you need to. <laughs> you're in between, especially on Market Street. Uh, but listen, I just came up I-95 the other day. That was a very prayerful trip. Uh, but, you know, you pray about situations in the day. You pray about appointments you may be going to. You pray about meetings you may have to have. You pray about relationships in your family. You pray for family members. You pray for opportunities to, to demonstrate the love of Christ to those around you. So we pray throughout the day and it just becomes a part of who we are in life. He goes on to say uh, that we uh, have the discipline of worship. All right. He uses the Ephesians chapter 5, 18 passage. Um, and he says, um, you know, to... Uh, speaks another to be filled with the Spirit, speaks another with psalms and hymns and songs uh, from the Spirit, sing and make music, always giving thanks to the Father in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. So we're to come together in worship. We're to sing praise to Him. We're to exalt our God. We're to join one another in corporate setting to, to worship together. The aspect of witnessing, the Matthew 28 passage, uh, you know, where all authority has been given to, uh, to us through Jesus Christ. He tells us to, to go and make disciples of all nations, right? Baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all these things that I've commanded you. And lo, I'm with you always, what? Even to the end of the age. Boy, isn't that a reassurance? That no matter where we are, what we do, and who we engage, that Christ is with us to the end of the age, and He is there to help us, even our Christian witness. He goes on to say a discipline of Christian fellowship, and he uses the Hebrews 10, 24, 25 passage that says, do not forsake the assembling together, okay? We're to come together. We're not to give up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing. We're to come together. I think this goes on to say not just in corporate worship, but I think this is, is goes on to say uh, in small groups and in small settings where we come around the Word and we encourage one another in the Word. We hold one another accountable to the things of God so that we can find victory over sin because I know that my brothers and my sisters have my back and they're cheering me on and they want me to succeed, right? So we meet together for the aspect of, of admonition and, and, and aspect of encouraging one another and exhorting one another in the things of God. Uh, and he goes on to say uh, the, the discipline of, of self-discipline or self-control. He uses the Galatians chapter 5, 22 and 23, which lays out the fruit of the Spirit. All right? And as you walk through the fruit of the Spirit, there's love, joy, peace, patience, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, uh, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. And Titus 1.8, uh, be hospitable, uh, one who loves what is good, who is self-controlled, upright, holy, and disciplined. So do we, we're to be disciplined and self-controlled in our life, all right? Uh, we're to walk in a manner that's different uh, from the world around us that just seems to lack all control uh, in all areas of life. Um, 
as you look at that Galatians 5 passage, just, just to note, you know, those are the fruit of the Spirit, all right? Uh, the Spirit of God indwells us, all right? Uh, many times, and you hear sometimes people pray, you know, God, just give me more patience. Uh, but really, we should be praying, God, help me yield to you more in my life that your fruit just overflows, right? It's not so much about attaining fruit as it is about yielding ourselves to God so that the fruit of the Spirit just overflows in our character and who we are. And so we give ourselves to God in such a way. All right, so we, we live out those things. I like talking about spiritual discipline, so that's fun. Uh, we could go on with that, but we'll never make it to the end. Um, he comes in to say in the next section that sanctification uh, affects the whole person. All right. He looks at that in this way. He says um, that sanctification affects the whole person. Uh, it affects our intellect. Uh, he looks at Colossians 1.10. So that you may live a life worthy of the Lord and please Him in every way, bearing fruit in every good work, growing in the knowledge of God. So we're to always be growing in our knowledge of God. And that comes as this work of sanctification is taking place. It affects our emotions. Uh, he gives the passage of 1 John 2.15 to not to love the, uh, the world or the things of the world, all right? Uh, so our, our love, our desire, our passions should be changed in the who we are. Uh, it affects our will. Uh, he says that that's speaking about our decision-making faculties in our life. And he points to that second Philipp, uh, Philipp, excuse me, Philippians chapter 2 passage in verse 13, where it, uh, where it gives us that same thing. It's God who works in you to will and to act according to fulfill His good purpose, all right? So this aspect of sanctification changes our will, changes our decision-making, uh, it affects our body and spirit. And he gives 2 Corinthians 7.1. Let us purify ourselves from everything that contaminates body and spirit, perfecting holiness out of reverence for God. So we give ourselves to this work of sanctification. God's ultimate purpose is that we be increasingly conformed to the image of His Son in every dimension of our personhood. All right? in everything that we are, all of our being, that God's purpose is that we would be increasingly conformed into the image of Jesus Christ. Now, he goes on to say and gives us motives uh, for our obedience to God in the Christian life, all right? Uh, I thought these were great. Uh, the first one is this, a desire uh, to please God and to express our love uh, for Him. Uh, as we look at that, there are several passages. Uh, John 14, 15 is one. If you love me, you will keep my commandments, right? All right. Uh, uh, John 14, 21, same, same passage there. Whoever has my commandments and keeps them is the one who loves me. The one who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I too will love them and show myself to them. All right. First uh, John 5, 3. In fact, this is love for God to keep His commands and His commands are not burdensome. So it comes out of a desire to please God. I think that's probably the greatest motivation we have. God has loved us so much that He sent His Son that we might be saved. And because of that love, we love God back. All right? And the way that we love Him back is that we walk in accordance to His Word. All right? 
And so we live for him in a manner that pleases him. Second uh, motivation uh, is the need to keep a clear conscience before God. And he gives several passages there. Uh, Romans 13, 5, uh, talking about necessary to submit to authorities, not because of possible punishment, but also as a matter of conscience. All right. Uh, the goal of this command is love, which comes from a pure heart and a good conscience of, of, and sincere faith. First Timothy 1 Timothy 1.5, all right? So this aspect of, of having a clear conscience before God, all right? How many of us, when we have fallen and we have sinned, that conscience is that voice that's speaking to us, right? And, and, and talking to us of how the, that conscience isn't clear. And that conscience is the, is the one who leads us, the conscience through the voice and the power of the Holy Spirit is leading us to a place of repentance, right? So that we can be made right with God and our fellowship with God can be restored. And so this desire for a clear conscience, the desire to be a vessel of noble use uh, and have increased effectiveness in the world uh, and our ministry and, and, and the kingdom of God. And so this aspect of, of having a noble use, all right, and, and having effectiveness in our work. We all long to be effective in the things that God places out in front of us. And so uh, we want to be noble in that. Uh, and as we uh, allow Him to sanctify us and we do the work to become disciplined and, and seek purity and holiness in our life, God makes us effective in the things uh, that we do. Uh, 2 Timothy 2, 20 and 21 was a passage that he lists there. Uh, another is the desire to see unbelievers come to Christ through observing our lives, all right? Uh, 1 Peter 3, 1 and 2 talks about that way. He's given instruction to wives uh, to submit themselves to their husbands. Uh, if any of them don't, do not believe the word, uh, that they would be won over. So he's telling them, hey, live in such a way with your unbelieving husband that he sees the very nature and the work of Jesus Christ in your life so that they may be one, all right? That they may come to faith in Christ. He goes on uh, in 1 Peter 3, 15 and 16 and gives that one and says, uh, But in your hearts revere Christ as Lord. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. Uh, do this with gentleness and respect, keeping a clear conscience so that those who speak maliciously against your good behavior in Christ may be put to shame by their slander. So we long to see people come to Christ. So uh, we ask God to do this work. And as we're sanctified, it gives us the ability to speak of the hope that we have in Christ, right? Uh, it gives us the ability to be that Christian witness uh, that God has called us to be, all right? Uh, the fifth one is a desire to receive present blessings uh, from God on our lives and ministry, all right? Charles Stanley has, has said for years and years and years that blessings flow through our obedience. They flow through our obedience. Uh, and I, I believe that to be true. As we seek to walk in the ways of God, the blessings of God flow into our lives and through us, all right? And in essence, then we become channels of blessings to those around us. But he gives the first Peter 3, 9 through 12 uh, as the passage that is there of not repaying evil with evil, insult for insult, but repay evil with blessing because you, because you are called to do this. Uh, so that we may inherit the blessing, all right? So God gives blessings when we walk in obedience to the, His commands. Uh, the sixth thing is the desire to avoid God's displeasure 
and discipline on our lives. And he gives many passages that are there um, as we looked at that uh, Acts 5, 11, uh, you know, the, the passage that is there is Ananias and Sapphira. And it says that as God brought judgment and discipline upon them, that the church, the whole church uh, was seized with fear. All right. Uh, they, they become awestruck by the power and the holiness of their God. Second uh, Corinthians 5, 11, since we know what it is to fear the Lord, we try to persuade others. All right. So we long not to grieve the work of the Holy Spirit in our life, as Ephesians tells us. And we long to walk in a manner that pleases Him. We, we don't want to displease Him. Uh, we don't want His hand of discipline to come upon us. And so we walk in obedience, okay? Um, seventh, I'm on number seven, right? Uh, they're G's, they're letters. Uh, the desire to seek greater heavenly reward, all right? Uh, we are told that there are rewards for us in heaven, all right? Uh, and as we live our lives, we are setting up for ourselves uh, rewards in heaven. All right. Uh, some are seen as what crowns in heaven. I believe every one of those crowns will be laid back at the feet of Jesus uh, and, and, as we come before him because he is worthy of those things. But there are rewards in heaven uh, that are there for us. He gives several passages that we can look for. Uh, Matthew 6, 19 through 21. Uh, Luke 19, 17 through 19, uh, as we hear, well done, uh, my good and faithful servant. So there are many of these. 1 Corinthians 3, 12 through 15, uh, that talks about receiving a reward uh, as we build our life on Christ. Uh, as we look at uh, H, uh, we see that one motivation is that we have a desire for a deeper walk with God. All right. Um, whoever has my commands and keeps them is the one who loves me. If we claim to have fellowship with him, first John tells us, if we claim to have fellowship with him, yet walk in darkness, we lie and do not live by the truth. Right? That verse right there was a changing point in my life as a young man. Raised in church, uh, brought up hearing the stories, saw people in church in fights and things. And in my own life as a teenager, I thought if that's what Christianity looks like, I don't want any part of it. And I read Handlog away from the things of the church. Uh, but God, by the power of His Holy Spirit, didn't let me go. And one night alone in my house, uh, I had a Bible in my house and I picked up a Bible and I opened the Bible and it opened to 1 John. And it opened to that very passage, chapter 1, verse 6, that if we claim to have fellowship with Him, and walk in darkness, we lie and live not by the truth. And I had to say to myself, I'm not walking in truth. And that changed my life. And so that desire for a deeper walk with God, not just to be uh, saved, but to actually know Him and to experience fellowship with Him and to have the joy of life in Christ, that washed over me in that night. So it's a great verse. Isaiah 59, 2. Uh, but your iniquities have separated you from your God. Your sins have hidden His face from you so that He will not hear. Listen, when Adam and Eve sinned in the garden, what happened? They did what? They ran and hid. They were separated. Where they once had perfect fellowship with God, no longer did they experience that perfect fellowship. All right? And so when sin comes into our life, our fellowship with God is broken. He still loves us. We're still His child. Right? All right? But we're separated and we long to have this deeper walk. So we long and this motivation for obedience is so that our fellowship with God is not disrupted. 
How many of you in a relationship with another person have gotten into a confrontation or an argument that has led to a disruption in your fellowship? Ever happened? Yeah. Uh, where you just don't speak for a while, right? Uh, and listen, we don't want that with God. But so often in our lives, when we sin, we let go of the things of God, right? Instead of running to Him for deeper fellowship, we often run away. Same as Adam and Eve. And we ought to draw back to Him and allow Him to have His will in His way and cleanse us and, and work in our lives. Um, the next aspect and motivation is the desire that angels would glorify God as they see our obedience. There is a, there is a, a heavenly host that is observing those who are saints on this earth. And as we live our lives, may the angels in heaven be able to glorify God in His presence because of the way that we're living our lives. That's pretty heavy, all right, to think that we have a host that is watching. And our lives may be the very thing that gives them reason to praise in a day. That's pretty impactful, all right? Uh, J, the desire for peace and joy in our lives. Uh, Philippians 4, 9, whatever you have learned or received or have heard from me or seen in me, put that into practice and the God of peace will be with you. He then gave the Hebrews 12, 1 and 2 passage, which um, I'm going to bring it, but I'm going to help you bring that. That may be hard to understand how he's getting peace and joy out of this passage from Hebrews 12, 1 and 2. But therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus the author and perfecter of our faith, for the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Jesus Christ, <laughs> for the joy set before him, endured the things that he had to endure on earth. Do we have something ahead of us and before us that we should be able to endure the present life that we are in? We have an eternity that is set before us and a hope that is found in Jesus Christ. And so this peace and joy comes in knowing that no matter what I may experience in this world, there is something that is ahead of me. And I long for the day, and I long, and I have hope for what is found in Jesus Christ. Uh, and the last is this, the desire to do what God commands simply because His commands are right, and we delight in doing what is right. Right? We delight in doing what is right. And so that's that change of that moral compass in us where the, de the delight in doing the things that displease God is taken away and now we delight just to please Him. All right? Uh, let me get to the right passage. Ephesians chapter 4, um, you know, encourages us. Uh, he, he tells us and He urges us. Uh, he, he, he tells us, please, with everything that you've got, walk in a manner worthy of the calling that you have received, right? So He wants us to walk in a manner that pleases our God. The beauty and joy of sanctification, He closes the chapter out with this, is that sanctification brings great joy to us. The more we grow, uh, the more we will see the fruit of the Spirit being evident in our lives as we yield to Him on a daily basis. 
The more we yield to the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives, the more that we will grow and the more that we will mature and the more that we will come to understand that the kingdom of God is not about <laughs> what he said in this, all that the world has to offer. He gave the passage that talks about food and drink, but it's about growing and it's about righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. The work of the sanctification conforms us more and more into the image of this Son and brings a longing for that work to be complete when Jesus returns and takes us home. That will be a wonderful and glorious day. I just buried my father. And as I did that, I stood on the stage and I talked about the aspect that his joy was now complete and his faith was now complete and his sanctification for his soul was now complete as he was made perfect in the sight of his king. And now he awaits his resurrected body where he will physically be able to enter the presence forever and ever. Erickson says in, in his Christian theology book, the Christian life as we have seen is not a static matter in which one is saved and then merely reposes in that knowledge. It is a process of growth and progress. Live not in the Christian's own strength, but in the power and by the guidance of the Holy Spirit, and it is a process of both challenge and satisfaction. How many of you find this Christian life at times to be a challenge? Right? But how many of you find it to be a great joy? Right? Great satisfaction as you walk in the things of God. On the back of your page, I gave you the Westminster Confession, uh, Westminster Shorter Catechism uh, of what is sanctification, how they answer that. I think that was in your book as well. Uh, and then uh, question 36, the benefits in which life uh, that accompany justification, adoption, and sanctification and those things are God's love, peace of conscience, joy in the Holy Spirit, this increase of grace in our life and the perseverance to, to, to be steadfast in the things of God to the very end. Uh, sanctification, uh, something that God has done, but something that we join Him daily. And so I encourage you uh, to be disciplined in the things of God, to be disciplined in Bible study, to take up His Word. And all of us, all of us may find seasons where things may be dry. We may get in a rut. Uh, when you find yourself in a rut, find a new road, right? Find a new path. Um, I have found that to be true in, in several ways. You know, when, when, when it seems like you kind of hit a spiritual dryness, sometimes a change of venue Sometimes it's not doing prayer sitting in the same chair that you've sat in for the last six months. Sometimes it's getting up and walking around the block and listening to praise music and allowing the beauty and the wonder of God just to pour over you so that you can find an aspect and to grow and to pray even more in that day. Uh, but to be disciplined in the things of God, to grow in maturity so that you might be conformed to the image of Jesus Christ. None of us are there, but one day. One day. Let's pray. Fathers, we come before you in this night. We thank you for the saving grace that comes through Jesus Christ. Father, we thank you for the indwelling of the Holy Spirit that works in us daily to bring about this transformation in our lives that we might be conformed into the image of your Son. Father, we thank you that where we are weak, Father, you are strong. And Father, in this day, we thank you that one day, one day we will be made complete 
that we will be completely sanctified, holy, set apart, that we might be able to forever enjoy your presence. But until that day, may we be disciplined and be motivated to walk in obedience and walk in a manner that pleases you. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Thank you for listening, and we hope that this teaching has enriched your understanding of God. If you found this teaching to be helpful, share it with your friends and family on social media and tag us at Scott's Hill. Till next time, 